You are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama on your Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. We thank you for joining us for another edition of on the line once again the number to call to join in the show 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 follow levi and i on twitter at point gardner at levi fitzwater another night another upset in the sec who is actually a contender for the sweet 16 in college basketball coming out of this sec and by another upset in the SEC, I mean what happened last night to Missouri basketball, losing 80-59 to to Ole Miss of all teams. And now everybody on social media, or maybe not everybody on social media, but you got certain national personalities on social media telling folks to pay attention to Ole Miss now. You know, lowly, almost 500 Ole Miss in the SEC just because they beat Missouri. Nay, do not be fooled. This is just an indicator of the SEC being bad and inconsistent this year in college basketball. Do not be fooled. This Missouri team coming off of a win against a top 10 Alabama team, they somehow pole vaulted to the top 10 themselves because the voters, for some reason, still giving SEC teams respect at this point in the season. And then Missouri losing last night to Ole Miss, 80-59. to It's got me scratching my head. It's got me thinking, who is actually a contender in this league to make it to the second weekend in the NCAA tournament? And I've got two teams. I don't know how many you've got. I've got a couple. How many do you have that you think are actual contenders? We mean contenders here, not teams that are for sure, without a doubt, going to make it to the Sweet 16. But... How many do you think are actually in the mix to make it that far? I've got like two, maybe. Th- like I have like two and then maybe like a fringe three potential. I would imagine we have similar I, I, teams I would in would assume probably the same. I would assume probably the same two. But let's debate them out then. Well, the obvious one's Alabama. The obvious one's Alabama. I mean, that's they're the best team in the SEC. Inconsistent, yes, but what team in the SEC isn't inconsistent? They've been consistently inconsistent all year long. But, again, I'll go off of the Alabama thing where veteran team, veteran guard play, and that comes to a factor. And it's not a bad team. They're a good team when they want to be. They've had a couple of bad performances, a couple of lackluster performances as of lately. They're still a talented team. I still value Nate Oates as a head coach. I think he's a good head coach. They've been playing well at times. The, whole, the one thing that always is going to get me with them, they have veteran guard play, and that's what matters in March. Alabama you're 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 spot on with deep guard play they're on my list as a legitimate contender I've ranked mine and Alabama is the number one contender for me in the SEC to make the sweet 16 and that's obvious but I want to dig into it a little bit more because I, I don't think that there are any teams in the league right now that are without a doubt without a without a doubt they're going to make it in that second weekend I, I think they could run into a potential pitfall and tournament play and we talked yesterday on the show and 
the NCAA tournament in basketball and in baseball, it's all about location. It's like real estate. It's all about location, 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 and who you're playing against in your bracket. Who is with you in your specific pod of the tournament. And right now, Joe Lenardi on ESPN's Bracketology has uh, has Alabama, I'm saying Auburn, has Alabama on the two line. Fox Sports has Alabama on the three line. I think that's too high. I said that yesterday on the show. I think both of those evaluations of this Alabama team is too high. I don't know if Alabama's going to drop further down than three. I just don't trust this team when it gets to tournament time because of the last month we've seen out of Alabama. Now, are they the number one contender in this league to make the Sweet 16? Yes. A big part of that, we'll go through the positive things with Alabama then. Deep guard play. They've got three guards. Jaden Shackelford, John Petty, Javon Quinterly averaging double-digit point totals. And they're not just like barely over double digits. They're like 14 points a game. They're the primary point scorers for this Alabama basketball team. The three ball can get them hot. They're 39% in SEC play from beyond the arc. Since SEC play has begun, they are the best team in the SEC at shooting threes. Over the last month, they've been kind of hit or miss, but when they are hot from three, they are hard to beat. They're the best defensive team in conference play, which is kind of shocking to think about. It's not the first thing that comes to mind with this Alabama team because of their style of play, but in terms of efficiency, they hold opposing teams to 38% from the floor in the SEC. In SEC play, they have the number one opposing field goal percentage. And then to com- combine that with another stat, Ken Palm has them as the number one defensive efficiency team in the country. Not just the SEC, in the country. That's wild to me. But the negatives for this Alabama team is they can lose if offensively they stumble And in recent weeks, they have stumbled a couple of times here. Only scored 61 against Oklahoma, 65 against Missouri. The South Carolina game, they didn't shoot lights out, but they still found a way to score a lot of points. They weren't overly efficient. You see South Carolina almost beats them. Kentucky, they were close with the Wildcats for quite some time. Pull away at the end. Only scored 70, weren't overly efficient in that game. There have been scenarios over the last couple of weeks dating back to about January 23rd when they played Mississippi State. I think the last time we've seen Alabama just scorching hot all game long was against LSU on January 19th when they won 105-75. to Since then, this Alabama team has kind of been up and down offensively. You don't know what type of offensive performance you're going to get from them. If this trend continues, this is where I get into I'm not completely sold on this Alabama team depending on where they're at in an NCAA tournament bracket. I don't get how people think this is a two-seed when you look at their resume. The SEC is bad. They don't have any marquee wins outside of conference play. They really don't have any marquee wins in conference play to me. I mean, their best win on the schedule is against a Tennessee team that has been just as up and down as anybody. Talk about them losing 52-50 to or whatever it was to Ole Miss like last week or so. They didn't look great last night against Georgia. Tennessee's as up and down as it comes and when you're talking about Alabama their best win on their schedule this year their only good win on their schedule this year against a ranked team is against a number seven Tennessee team that has fallen from grace since that time so I'm not completely sold on this Alabama team in recent weeks they've lost to the good teams that they've played I'm not sold on this bunch as a foregone conclusion that they will be playing in the second weekend but they are the best representative that the SEC has to offer
Oh, of course. And it we talked about it yesterday. It's a lot like that Auburn team that made it to the Final Four. You weren't sold that that team was going to make it make a deep run. They almost got put out the first week. And you could see something very similar to Alabama. If they come out and play one of those lackluster offensive games that we've seen here lately, they could get bounced week one. They could get bounced the first game. If they get a two seed, wrongfully so, I mean, they'd have to do a lot of work over these next couple of weeks for me to say this is a two seed. Of course, the record looks like one. It does. The record looks like one. It's just who have you beat? It's just the competition that they played and who have you beaten. And They've beaten most of the teams that they should have beaten in front of them. Again, they they have a couple of bad losses. I just I can, I don't see a scenario where they get up to that two seed. Well, let's look at the two line: Villanova, Houston, Illinois, Alabama. One of these teams is not like the others in college basketball this year. Illinois has some marquee wins. Illinois is playing in the Big Ten, the toughest basketball conference this season. That's, in, yeah, and that's what, and that's what, and that's the difference. The difference between Illinois and Alabama, when you really look at it in terms of resume, it's Illinois playing, and Illinois thirteen and five. Like they've lost the same amount of games that Alabama has. They've sitting at sixth in the country at the moment. I give Illinois, based off a complete resume, a better seed than Alabama. I don't. Again, I don't want to get into. I think this team is better than this team because I will be honest. Haven't watched as much Illinois basketball as I've seen Alabama basketball, so I don't want to go into comparisons between teams. But in terms of resume alone, I think Illinois has a better resume to get into that two seed better than Alabama does. Let's look at the three line. Compare them to some of the teams that are on that three line right now. Do you think they're beating Texas Tech? Obviously, they, they could compete, but I, I don't know if I'm sold they're going to beat Texas Tech. I'm not sold, but I think they could win that game. I think it would. I mean, I think that's a good matchup. I think they're pretty. I think they're very close. I think those two teams are close. Virginia, who's gotten hot lately, they're playing very good basketball at the moment. They didn't start the year out great, but they're playing very good basketball. Somehow, Missouri's on Joe Lenardi's three line at the moment. That one's that one's puzzling that, to me too. That I, one's ugly. I don't. I, they move. He moved them up to the three line because of their win against Alabama. They'll I don't be understand. off of that very soon. Let me assure am I, you. Am I missing something with Missouri? And, and am I missing again, something? This is as of February 9th, so a couple of days ago. They've lost since then, and I'm sure he'll have another one coming up very soon. But And then the other three seats, Texas, and I think Alabama would struggle to beat Texas. I'm just not sold. I think this Alabama team's worse. I think Alabama and Missouri are the two worst teams of the two and three lines when you're looking at Joe Lenardi's bracketology right now. I only think one of those teams should even be considered for a top three seed. It's definitely not Missouri. I don't. I don't it's understand. Definitely not Missouri. I'm missing something here. I need to go through and just dig all the stats not, on Missouri. Look, I'm missing miss, something. It's not you. It's not you that's missing something. That I I don't understand everybody's right now. Lenardi's got six SEC teams in the tournament, and I'm like, well, that's good for the league. And for the most part, college basketball has been pretty down this year. You look at a lot of the blue bloods. All of the blue bloods are not doing very well right now right like Kentucky is is eight games below 500 Duke is below 500 Kansas is out of the top 25 but they're going to make the tournament this is just a bad year for Blue Bloods North Carolina is pretty average I mean they're all out of the top 25 there's a there's a reason why there are a bunch of teams that are that are moving up uh, you know in comparison to their general prestige there are different teams at the top this year than we're accustomed to but I still don't think that this that this as that this conference has anybody that is, that is a national championship that is an elite eight that that is that is anywhere remotely close to that and that's what you think of when you think of two and three seats those are the teams that can go that far just Alabama Missouri to me do not look like the other teams they don't seem to have the same amount of firepower 
that the other teams appear to have at that level. Let's keep it going then here too. This is a team that I think if they get hot, they can possibly do some real damage in March and take a take a very deep run. They they have been lackluster in recent weeks. And yes, it is Tennessee. Tennessee has been lackluster. Last night they only beat Georgia by eight. Weren't overly impressive considering they were up by as much as 20 in that game, 21 in that game. They end up blowing a lead. They lost to Ole Miss last week, 52-50. to 50. I continue to bring that up. They struggled against Kentucky over the weekend. Only beat Mississippi State, 56-53. to 53. Obviously, they handled Kansas really well, which was what moved them up far in the polls to as much as 11, I think, last weekend. But then they end up losing Ole Miss on Saturday, and, and boom, they fall like a rock again, and they're at 16th. They lost 75-49 to 49 to Florida, lost by 9 to Missouri. They haven't looked great since conference play has opened up for them. They lost by 8 to Alabama. They have not looked great since conference play has started but I still value what this team has in terms of potential and talent on the roster I've said this a couple of weeks ago talking about Auburn football and Auburn basketball never never write off talent and this Tennessee team has got talent they're well coached they've got a really solid coach and Rick Barnes I value what this team has on the roster maybe a little bit more than what they've put on the court as far as a product is concerned but if you're talking about a team you know, everybody's wanting to compare this Alabama team because of style of play, and rightfully so, to those Auburn teams that went deep in the tournament. But if we're, if we're doing that, talk about a team that maybe has underwhelmed at a, at, during a stretch of the season and they're looking for that Chuma Okiki Georgia game, right? And then that's the thing that can bolster them and get them hyped to finish out the season strong. That's the thing that can right the ship. This Tennessee team might still be looking for that moment, might still be looking for something to right the ship. And they've got five more games here late in the season to be able to do that. But if you're talking about a team that has the talent and maybe is underachieving in the regular season, similar to what those Auburn teams were doing, but then could get hot in tournament play, that's this Tennessee team. I I, I like this bunch. And if you compare them to Alabama, deep guard play, six of their seven top scorers are guards. They, just like Alabama, have three guards that average more than 10 points a ball game. They don't turn the ball over that much, only 12.6 per game. That's one of the best marks in the SEC. They're number two in defensive efficiency, according to Kim Palm. So they play great defense as well. That's actually the name of their game. If anything, their issue at the moment is will their offense show up? They have had a propensity to disappear, which once again, that's a big part of how Georgia came back last night. That's a big part of why they lost to Ole Miss a week ago. Sometimes their offense just doesn't show up and you can't find a trend for it because sometimes it's at home and sometimes it's on the road. This Tennessee team is an enigma for me. They've, they've got great players, but sometimes they just don't show up on the offensive end of the floor. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you've nailed it on the head right there. I, I think the Tennessee team, that was my second team as well, that could make a run in the tournament. They're just as talented as who we perceive to be the front runner in Alabama. I just think they haven't put it all together yet. And again, nailing it on the head, if they could just have that moment, that one moment that just kind of puts them over the mountaintop, the, the Chuma Okiki at Georgia moment where it just gives you all the momentum, it gets you all the confidence. This team is talented. This team could make a tournament run. Again, going back and losing to Ole Miss at home, I don't think that's that big of a deal. Just simply because Ole Miss has been great at home this year. Their problem is they've just been terrible on the road. They've been great at home, bad on the road. If they could play every tournament game in Oxford... I'd have Ole Miss up here. Problem is, it's not going to happen. You don't get that. You don't get that opportunity. No. One in ten Ole Miss is on the road. Twelve and five at home. That is just staggering difference. If they could play every game in Oxford, man, this would be a top five basketball team. 
Well, they're finding some things offensively, too, at the moment. Like, they're becoming a whole lot more efficient than where they were. Now, this team's still, you know, close to about that 70 points per game mark. Part of that's because of how slow they play. But also part of that is for majority of the season, they've been an underwhelming team from an offensive standpoint. Ole Miss has shot up the SEC standings up to 11-8 and overall, which isn't anything pretty to look at. But they're 6-6 six and six in conference play, sitting in the middle of the pack right now. But don't look now, they're only two games out of second place with still five or six games left on their schedule. Six games left on their schedule. Yeah, they've got, they've got six left, and they can still get to second place. That, once again, is another indicator. You look at this SEC, and a big part of the you know what we've talked about in this and why it's so hard to evaluate this league, You know, it's going to have some of the most teams in tournament time. And part of that, like I said earlier, is because the Blue Bloods have fallen. There are more teams from the peripheral, from the from the edge of college basketball that are finding themselves in the conversation to make the dance this year because some of your traditional powers in these leagues, they're out. Like Kentucky's not going. That freed up another tournament spot for someone in the middle of the pack in the SEC to slide in. Whereas traditionally, maybe one of those teams get left out. But, you know, Florida's sitting at 10 and 5. They'll probably make the tournament. Missouri's at 13 and 4. They'll make it. LSU will make it. They're at 12 and 6. Arkansas, 15 and 5. They'll make it. Tennessee and Alabama will, of course, make it. All of those teams will make it. Ole Miss, if they get hot here at the end, they might make it at another team. But none of these, these teams in this league jump off the page for me because in conference play, they're all just beating up on each other. And I think that's more of an indicator that this conference is inconsistent. It's not very good because when they've played teams outside of the SEC, they've gotten beat. There aren't really that many marquee wins outside of this league. Florida did something special against West Virginia a couple of weekends ago in the SEC Big 12 Challenge, but then the SEC's darling Alabama loses to Oklahoma in an ugly game. Missouri hit Illinois early on, but, I mean, that was forever ago. That was forever ago. These are two different different teams. Two different teams now. Quick correction, Ole Miss is 8-3 at home, 3-5 on the road. Uh, read the internet wrong. One above. I read last year's stats instead of this year's stats. I just want to make sure that Still, that was eight and three at home is pretty good. Yeah, I just want to make sure that was a you know a nice clarification. Didn't want to throw any bad stats out there for anybody. Sure. So this league still a lot to still a lot to play for, especially in terms of standings. I think Alabama now with with that three game lead over everybody else. With Missouri losing last night, I feel like that put this the regular season title on lockdown. It's, for it's locked for Alabama. I, is, I think they've won. It is now. the SEC just? Is it that bad and inconsistent, or is it that good and everybody's cannibalizing each other? Ooh, I, I, think the question. I think it's the first one. Yeah, I do too. 100% <laughs> I think it's the first one. More of On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama coming up in just a moment. Keep up with all the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at, at RadioALSports. It's the place to be for Auburn and Alabama content as well as high school sports content. Once again, that's Radio Alabama Sports. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. The number to call 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Continuing on with our conversation that we opened the show with, talking about SEC teams that are actually contenders for the Sweet 16 this year in college basketball. It was another night, another upset in league play. Missouri, a top 10 team. They're fooling you guys. They're not a top 10 team. They fall to Ole Miss on the road 
80 to 59 and that just looks uglier than a 21 point loss i know it was only 21 only but 80 to 59 just looks like they got dismantled which they did you only scored 59 points in an sec game that is abysmal i do not trust this missouri team we've gone through some contenders alabama and tennessee we have both pegged as contenders for the sweet 16 not foregone conclusions not without a doubt locks i don't think you'd say there's a single lock in this league i'm on the side of the spectrum that says this year's sec is no good but if you look at joe lenardi's bracketology right now big 10 gonna get nine teams into the tournament according to him at the moment big 12 with seven sec with six and third tied with the acc with also six and the sec and the acc have been down especially the acc compared to what they typically are because once again look at what's going on with duke right now losing record at the moment north carolina they're one of the better teams of the acc this year but they're also you know kind of average compared to what you normally see out of north carolina they haven't fully rebounded well once again aren't they like close to 500 since they lost to auburn in the NCAA tournament a couple of years ago that's tough Pac-12 with five teams, according to this, and Big East with five. And when I look at all these top, these are these are always the top conferences in college basketball. When I'm comparing these conferences, I think the Big East has better top-end teams than the SEC and the ACC do, but they're going to get less teams in, not only because there are less teams in the Big East, but also their bottom half teams, I think, are worse. They, they're, they're much worse than maybe what the SEC and the ACC have to offer, but I'm just not sold because when these top SEC teams have even gone outside the league, they've struggled with some other teams, including this Alabama squad losing to Oklahoma last week. Missouri does have some more key wins outside of conference play, but now that they've gotten inside conference play, they're losing to teams like Ole Miss 80-59. to So no locks out of this conference, I don't think, to make it far in the NCAA tournament to the Sweet 16. I think they're contenders, but it all comes down to location, location, location. I'll say this. Alabama right now a two seed according to Joe Lenardi last time I looked at a Fox Sports bracketology they had him as a three seed you look at Alabama right now if they get a two seed I think they do go to the Sweet 16 they won't lose to the 15 seed and then they'll get to play a seven or a ten that'll mirror you know some of those teams that they've played against in the SEC that they'll be able to outgun they'll, they'll have more talent than them they'll make it to the Sweet 16 because that's an easy ride they get a three seed though and they get set up with a 14 seed like and I can't remember quite if Belmont was a 14 last year I know UC Irvine right now is listed as a 14 according to Joe Lenardi and that UC Irvine team two tournaments ago I say last year we didn't have an NCAA tournament last year two tournaments ago UC Irvine was a hot offensive team could shoot the ball out of the gym Belmont was wild with it as well they lost to Maryland in the first round but pushed a I, I believe Belmont was a 13 that year and Maryland was a four and they pushed them far Belmont's you know 20 and one right now probably won't be that low in terms of seeds but I use those teams as examples to say if you run into a 13 or a 14 that are just insane offensive teams and, and shoot the three ball very very well despite whatever teams in front of them and Alabama shows up with, with you know with one of their off days offensively then I could see them getting upset and the same thing for Missouri who I think is much more likely to end up on the three four or five line and I would say more likely to be a four or five seed and they really could run into a team offensively that that can spread so Belmont was an 11 seed two tournaments ago really Maryland was a six okay but UC Irvine was, was a 14 they were a 13 okay. when they played Kansas State whatever and then they ended up beating Kansas State right so. You and know. they had the offense to do it yeah. and that's the point you know uh, we we've said this time and time again on the show today it's all about location when it's coming down to the tournament and, and who you're playing against in the bracket and who you could run into 
And if Alabama gets a high enough seed, they're going to make it to the Sweet 16. A big part of it's a big end of the regular season here for Alabama. They need to close out strong to lock down that two seed because I'm not as sold as maybe other people are out there that this Alabama team is going to get onto that two line because I think there are some three seeds that maybe deserve it a little bit more than Alabama does at the moment maybe a Virginia maybe a Texas maybe a Texas Tech I think you could say and I know that they're a little bit more down in the polls but we got to look at the eye test here and how some of these teams are playing and what leagues they're playing in at the moment with some of the competition that they've got I I value I value some of what those teams have done traditionally maybe a little bit more and considering Alabama is beginning to slip up a little bit I think you could see one of those teams jump especially a Texas or a Texas Tech if they can finish Big 12 play on a hot streak only one there's only enough room for one of those Big 12 teams because that league's beating up on each other. That's a good league that's beating up on each other. You asked this question in the first segment. You know, is it is it that the SEC is is actually good and they're just beating up on each other, or is it that they're bad and they're beating up each other? And I said, no, it's because they're bad. The Big 12. You want to know what a, a league looks like that's beating up on each other that's got good teams in it? A four-loss Big 12 team is a lot different in my opinion right now than a four-loss SEC team. They're in completely different hemispheres. Hundred percent. Those teams aren't even close. A four-loss Big 12 team is not the same as a four-loss SEC team right now. So taking this to Missouri and why I don't have them as a contender right now for the Sweet 16, despite how high they are right now in some bracketologies, there's a lot I don't like, and a lot of it stems from the fact that they're 40th in Kim Palm rankings. If Kim Palm's got you at 40th, there's a lot wrong with that. There's a lot wrong with your team, probably, if you're trying to go deep in the tournament. I, I don't like that. They're not overly efficient on both sides of the ball. Since they've gotten into SEC play, they haven't been overly impressive. They, too, have a propensity to, uh, to, to struggle offensively against certain teams. They've been outscored in conference play in terms of averages. 70.8 points allowed per game is what they're giving up in conference play. They're only scoring 70.3. They're even getting outscored in conference play. I don't know how they have a winning record in league play. Of course, they're 6-4. and four. They're not that far from being at 500, but still, they're getting outscored in league play. There's a lot to not like about this Missouri team. I don't get how they're this high up in bracketology. I, I played this game with Alabama earlier saying, you know, look at the other two seeds. Tell me which one doesn't belong. Missouri here. You got them on the three line with Texas, Virginia, and Texas Tech. Which of these four teams doesn't belong? Because I, I don't think any of these teams is losing 80-59 to 59 to Ole Miss. I mean, just to go off of the Ken Palm rankings where you have them at, where he has them at 40, Arkansas and Florida, both in the 20s, Tennessee, 12. I mean, and you and people are viewing Missouri as way better than two of those teams. Right. Can't, can't get there. Can't get there. Stay with us here on On The Live. we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us here on the other side of this break. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. And as promised, joining us on the phone lines now, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. Justin, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing well. How are y'all? We are doing great, and we appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us today. Let's get into some Auburn basketball talk. We haven't spoken a whole lot since 
Auburn took on Vanderbilt earlier in the week. Just kind of your synopsis on the game. A lot of folks underwhelmed by the performance, us included. Um, let, let's start off with, with some positives. What, what's a positive takeaway that an Auburn fan could could come away with that Nashville win? Oh yeah, I mean, I think this is. I think it was a good sign for Auburn that they made some progress on defense. You know, defense had been the problem for the last few games, really been the whole season. When Auburn loses, it's usually because of their defense letting them down. It took a pretty good Vanderbilt offense that kind of held them in check for most of the game. You know, Vanderbilt had some shots late to kind of make it a little bit closer than it actually was. Uh, but you know, holding a team uh, that has that kind of offensive firepower um, to a to a low you know low number, low shooting total from what they're usually expected away from home. That's a, that's a pretty good sign. Uh, you know, Auburn did a really good job of also making sure that, you know, Scotty Pippen Jr. wasn't going to, you know, beat him. Low assist for him, uh, fouled out early. So Auburn did a good job of kind of making him the center, center point of their game plan and slowing him down. So I think it was just really good defensive execution, um, you know, throughout the game. Obviously, offensively, just in the second half, you, you just came alive again. Uh, first half was horrible offensively. We've seen a few of those from Auburn this season. But they figured it out. It's hard to keep this team down offensively for two uh, consecutive halves. And, you know, having Sharif Cooper is such a luxury for this team because, you know, when it's a tight game, when it's a close game, you can give the ball to him and he's either going to, you know, get an opportunity to score or create for somebody else. He took over that second half and he's he's a huge reason why they won that game want to get your thoughts on this uh, offensively obviously there was a, a 23 point first half and a 50 point second half D- did things look different from a movement standpoint on the offensive side of the floor because I think sometimes with this this team offensively maybe maybe you see some guys standing around at the three-point line just all kind of ball watching to see what Sharif Cooper's going to do with it D- did you see more movement on the offensive side in the second half or did, was it kind of more of just the shots began to fall I think it's a little bit of both. Definitely more movement. I think they got Sharif Cooper a lot more involved in the pick and roll. That was like that was going to be the focal point of their offense. So it was like either he was going to draw foul, get to the rim, or create for somebody else. Let those guys hit shots. It opened it up. I think one of the big differences in the second half, also for Auburn, is that they didn't turn the ball over nearly as much uh, in the first half. They had a high, high turnover rate. Cut it down in the second half, um, and you know really were able to you know score because of it because. You know, Vanderbilt's not a great defense, but part of the reason why they were doing such a good job in the first half of holding Auburn in check is because Auburn was throwing away a lot of possessions. So I think it was, you know, letting your number one guy really attack and take over the game and, and, and get some creation off of that. You had some good catch-and-shoot performances from the Tigers. They got out and transitioned a little bit more, used that defense uh, to kind of turn it into offense. That was a greater emphasis, I think, in the second half. So, yeah, I just think it was just a little bit more locked in from Auburn, making some adjustments. Um, and, but just really letting letting their number one player work, and guys like Jamal Johnson, Devin Cambridge, really played off of them super well in both of those halves. Next up for Auburn will be a road trip to Rupp Arena in Kentucky, and it's going to be pretty cold over the weekend. You hope Auburn offensively isn't cold, but what, what's the matchup that you're looking at in this upcoming ball game, which is a rematch between these two teams? Yeah, I mean, when Auburn beat Kentucky at home earlier this season, they kind of beat Kentucky at their own game, defense, grinded out, rebounding play more physical, get to the free throw line. You know, this Kentucky offense, they just did a really good job of scoring a lot against Arkansas uh, in their matchup earlier this week. Shot the ball probably the best they have had all season. But they're really, really inconsistent on the offensive end. It's not a team that scores at a high rate. They play really good defense and they rebound. So the big key for Auburn in this one is just when they have the ball on offense, you don't have to, you know, light them up. You don't have to score 80 or 90 points to beat Kentucky because, you know, for Auburn, I think the case is um, just take care of the ball. Don't give Kentucky easy opportunities because the best Kentucky offense this season 
has been creating off of turnovers and long rebounds. So for Auburn, go stick to the game plan that worked in, the, in, in that first matchup. You're going to do it on the road. It's going to be harder to get those calls in Rupp Arena, obviously. Um, it's going to be harder to get the free throw line. But they got to play a grinded out defense, physical game um, against a Kentucky team that that's going to that's going to be how they how they want to win. So if Auburn can do that, you get some clutch shooting uh, from outside, you know, away from home, they'll be in a good spot to, you know, I think it would only be the third time ever they've beaten uh, Kentucky and Rupp Arena. So they got a good opportunity to do that. Uh, but I don't think they got to deviate from their game plan from game one to one too much. They've got to take a look a really good uh, defensive team, but a really flawed offensive team uh, straight in the eye and not back down. So a question about a former Auburn player. What do you make about Jared Harper's night the other night for the Westchester Knicks? And what are the Knicks doing? Why aren't they calling him up yet? <laughs> That's a great question, man. You know, Jared Harper is, is I think, a, such a talented player uh, and, and can do so much for you offensively as, a, as, a, you know, as an NBA player because he's got really good range. He's fearless uh, driving the ball. He can, he can create for your other teammates. I think – the big knock on him at the NBA level is just defensively how much you're going to want to hide him a little bit just because he is a smaller guy. Nothing to say about his defensive ability or his attitude or his effort. It's just he's a smaller dude and he could be taken advantage of. But I look at the Knicks. I look at you know some of the point guards they've been running out uh, recently. I mean, they've had to have Emmanuel quickly kind of be the savior of the team this season. I feel like, man, if that's the case, how much could a guy like Jared Harper really help you? Even if it's just you know off the bench and just some, in some spot minutes, um, I, I – I think he really opened a lot of eyes with his performance uh, in the opener. I think he's going to have a really good bubble uh, for, for the Knicks there. It'd be good to see uh, Bryce Brown kind of get involved there, there as well with him. But, yeah, man, I just think, you know, teams don't need to be scared of him and his defense. Um, you know, give, give yourself a shot because this man is instant offense wherever he goes. Still talking about Auburn in the NBA then. I'm sure you saw Isaac Okoro's dunk last night. I don't know how often you get mm-hmm. to watch the Cavs play, but what are your thoughts of him and his rookie season? Well, the thing about Isaac Okoro this year, and he had that really good dunk. He had a, he had a buzzer beater earlier in the year that helped him, had a, had a good chase down block, stuff like that. He's had some winning performances uh, this year, but like you know, Isaac Okoro might be one of the worst fantasy basketball players you can get in the <laughs> NBA because – the man plays about 40 minutes a night, and he's going to give you about six or seven points. Uh, offense is not his game. It's not what he is. He's going to continue to develop and work on that. But he has really helped change the culture of that Cavs defense. They were one of the worst defenses in the league, if not the worst outside of the Wizards last year. They have become a much better team defensively, um, and he's been consistent because you know they, they've had some times where Con Sexton and Darius Garland haven't been able to play together a ton. Uh, but he's been out there. He's been stable. He's been consistent. He changes the team's culture on, on defense. He rebounds really well. He'll make some heads-up winning plays down the stretch for you. And, yeah, I mean, he will continue to uh, develop his jump shot, I, I'm sure. But, yeah, you see the, the, that kind of splashing ability. You know, he can, he can dunk like that and give you some, give you some points. You know, he's not going to be this guy who blows you away with his scoring. But I think his defense and his rebounding has really, really made the Cavs a much better team this year. We'll keep it on the trend. How's Shuma Okiki been doing this year in the NBA as well, if you've been keeping up with him? Yeah, he just came back from a from a from a bone bruise that had been, you know, kind of keeping him out for quite some time. Um, you know, when he came back, he had a really good run in the first quarter, especially kind of came out shooting pretty well. This Magic team's got a really weird rotation right now. They've dealt with a lot of injuries, but I think they really like the development out of him. I think he's transitioning really well into being that kind of do it all wing uh, who has has shown that he can shoot and score. Uh, on an NBA level early. I think that's going to be pretty big for him. Maybe flex into some uh, you know stretch four capabilities. So 
injury kind of kept him from playing a ton early on. He's still kind of working his way back to, to full shape. But I think if this guy can stay healthy, um, you know, he's got a lot of potential uh, to be a really good player for, for the Magic. I think he fits what they want to do in that system really, really well. We're 10 games into Sharif Cooper's career. That that seems like a really nice number to, to, to begin evaluating him, especially considering it's late in the year. We don't know a whole lot about deadlines for the NBA come, coming up and whatnot. But Sharif Cooper, 10 games into his career, you know, uh, some some questions about his shooting ability at the moment, but his playmaking ability is certainly next level. You know, it, I, I've been comparing him to Markel Fultz, just considering Markel Fultz's mm-hmm. shot was a little broken when he got to the next level, but he had all the same weapons like, like his playmaking ability and handles and whatnot. You know, is Sharif somebody who, who can go into the league and make an instant impact right away considering where we've seen him mocked? Or do you think it might be a, a Markel Fultz-like development trajectory? Because it took him a year or two to figure some things out. Yeah, I think, I think you know, Sharif's such a special player. I mean, his assist rate uh, with a team that doesn't have a ton of experience is super, super high. He's, you know, he's putting up numbers, you know, in terms of usage, uh, in terms of assist rate, in terms of scoring. You know, getting to the free throw line and stuff like that is more where he's going to get your shots than necessarily, um, you know, shooting from deep. Um, this season, he hadn't really kind of found that groove yet, but like, there are few players like Trey Young is like the last kind of guy that you've seen as a freshman have this kind of efficiency. Now, they, those guys do it two totally different ways, but, you know, his creation, his passing is next level. I mean, there are few teenagers on planet Earth who have the vision and the passing. Uh, of a guy like like Sharif Cooper, and he doesn't have the size of this guy. But you look at what like Lamelo Ball's doing at Charlotte, creating for his teammates, becoming an instant sensation without necessarily being, you know, this 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 lights out shooter or anything like that. I think Sharif Cooper could have that impact whenever he goes to the league and finds the right spot because, um, you know, you don't need him to necessarily be a twenty twenty five point scorer. But man, if he can get you close to double digit assists most every night, he's going to have a great long career. And I think he's just got some he's got some skills that are hard to teach uh, and some vision, um, just playmaking ability that just comes natural for being a guy who's been a high level point guard for most of his life. A lot of people like to compare it to Chris Paul. I think that's probably one of the, he, he might be the closest thing college basketball's had to Chris Paul since Chris Paul left. A guy who can score, who can give you buckets, who can give you some clutch moments, uh, you know, with his with his scoring ability. But he's going to cr- try to create. He's going to be very crafty on the defensive end. Uh, and you know he's going to he's going he's going to lead your team, natural leader, and I think a lot of NBA teams will love that. Similar body sizes as well. Chris Paul's a little, you know, uh, compared to today's game, uh, he's a little bit more undersized compared to today's point guards. But Justin, I appreciate you taking the time for us today. Tell everybody what's coming up on the Auburn Observer and where they can find you. Yeah, auburnobserver.com is where you can check me out. Six dollars a month or sixty dollars a year get you access to everything we do. A couple podcasts a week, stories most days on Auburn football, and Auburn basketball. I got a story up today on kind of pass protection and Bo Nix and what that means for his future in 2021. We're going to have a mailbag tomorrow, a lot of basketball coverage over the weekend and some stuff uh, from the Vanderbilt game on the website if, you, uh, if you'd like to check it out, auburnobserver.com. Sign up there, and everything new we post will get sent right into your email inbox. I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good evening. Absolutely. Y'all too. Thank you. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer with us on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We're going to head to a commercial break, and when we come back, we'll wrap up our number one here on On the Line.
Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Wrapping up hour number one here with you on the line. Let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Some people are good at cooking, some people are good at writing, some people are good at building dangerous robots and fighting them. Everyone has their hobbies. BattleBots is on Discovery with a new episode at 7. A look at the college basketball slate tonight. Iowa State is at Kansas at 6 on ESPN. Also at 6, but on ESPNU, head out to the Pac-12 for Colorado taking on Stanford. At the 8 p.m. time slot, Oregon is at Arizona State on ESPN. On ESPNU, Eastern Kentucky is at Belmont and before you scoff Belmont is sitting at 20 and 1 on the season a potentially very dangerous tournament team when you're filling out your brackets in a month. Pac-12 play closes the college basketball schedule on FS1 at 10 with UCLA at Washington State. Two NBA games are on TNT starting at 630 with the Heat at the Rockets. At 9 the 76ers head to the West Coast to play the Trailblazers. I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight. BattleBots my man. I'm here for it. What happened on the mass dancer last night? I, I will ask you this. Sometimes I regret it, but what happened on the mass dancer last night? On the mass dancer, a great episode. We had to see the zebra get TKO'd out of the competition. And I say that because it was revealed to be Oscar de la Hoya. Okay. There you go. Three was left. He good. Three left. He, I mean, he's made top four. I mean, we got three left. We're, we're at the finals. We're at, we're at the end of the road here with the Mass Dancer. I'm so excited. That's too sad, ooh, though. A little bit, but I know the Mass Mass Singer will be coming right around the corner. <laughs> what? Okay, so I, I joked about this. I said I said something along the lines of you know the Mass the Mass Singer wasn't enough. First of all, we ran out of ideas in society for television shows, so we came up with the Mass Singer. We came up with famous people doing fa- like famous people it's just like that lip sync battle famous people lip syncing famous people in costume that's pretty much this so then we came up with because it was apparently successful then we came up with the masked dancer what else can we do that is the masked what hmm, you could do the masked uh the masked sports thing like you could have them playing basketball in full costume like that sure mass cooking show you could have you, them you know cooking those in masks. NCAA, well any NCAA football game that you did you could have the mascot, the mascot. games yeah that's not those bad. are always good that's not bad i could get on board with that phone lines are open 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502 find levi and i on twitter at point gardner at levi fitzwater it's been a good first hour here for us if you missed any of it find the podcast wherever you get your podcast another big thank you out there to justin ferguson of the auburn observer for joining us in that previous segment talking some auburn basketball with us also you know diving a little bit into the nba with what's going on lately with the auburn players in the nba because in the g league jared harper had a whopping 30 points last night i think he had 11 assists he had some other stats getting in there some steals as well he had he was the leading scorer last night for the westchester knicks in the g league opener last night for those knicks affiliate they're still called the knicks you know but they're they're the nba affiliate to the knicks bryce brown was a dnp they listed it as injury slash illness so bryce brown did not play last night he's also a part of that team with jared harper but jared harper had a big game and you asked you know what what is what 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 are the knicks waiting on right now why have they not called up my man what do they have to lose they're the knicks what do they have to lose well i say this too they were having a field day on social media once they signed jared harper to that two-way contract when they brought him in often i'm saying like once a week maybe more there was something posted about jared harper to twitter i was seeing it all the time on social media 
They were loving this guy. And, and, and it's like, they, you don't do that for your average G League player. I, but now, and I'll tell you, Jared Harper does not seem like the average guard that Tom Thibodeau typically has on his roster. And of course, guess what? He decides to trade for has been Derek Rose. And of Whoa. Course, I, Whoa. I, look, let's be real. He's washed. Whoa. No. Derrick Rose can still provide great. He's just not Derrick Rose of old. Pump the brakes on great. He's fine. He's fine. He's not going to average you more than 20 points a ball game anymore. He's fine. He he can start on some teams in this league, and he has found a way to stay in the league and rejuvenate it. But this is not Derrick Rose, you know, before he tore his ACL two or three times. You know, this is not the same Derrick Rose. And I like him. I like him a lot, and and I'm happy for the dude that he has stuck around in the league. But the key word there, when I was talking about Derrick Rose, wasn't the has-been or the washed part. It's the fact that they traded for him. They traded for age and for a dude who will, at best, probably do you high teens per game. Depth. Depth piece. For what? What? You know what? They need somebody who can play the position well. And I'm just saying, look at other guys like Jared Harper who have made it in the league. Isaiah Thomas, tiny. He made it in the league. He was the last pick in his draft. He made it. Yogi Ferrell, the Mavericks decided, or I think it was the Kings first, maybe. No, it was the Mavericks gave him a chance. Now he ended up with the Kings. I don't yep. know what Yogi Ferrell's doing now, but Yogi Ferrell was a solid piece for the Mavericks at the end of that season that he played. There are other guys that have done this. Jimmer Fredette's been in and out of the G League back and forth. It seems like when somebody needs a, a guard to come in and tear it up, they'll Chinese pull him basketball out. legend Jimmer now Fredette. Now he's there, yeah. Chinese basketball. They love him over there. He's going to have statues. Look at Jeremy Lin and how he entered into the league. There have been stories of guards that have taken over the uh, maybe not taken over Isaiah Thomas and Jeremy Lin. They took over the league when they got hot. JJ Barea. I mean he he had a solid. He's I mean he's a great point guard. He's got a ring. So what do you have to lose? You're last in your division right now, which in the NBA it doesn't matter. I'm just saying they're 11 15. They're the worst team in their division. They ain't making the playoffs. They're towards towards you know the fringe of the of the Eastern Conference right now, and, and I imagine as the season progresses, they will continue to fall. The Knicks have failed on point guard selection after point guard selection in the NBA draft. Tilakina hasn't worked out. He's appeared in like four games this year. They, they just got rid of Dennis Smith, didn't they? I believe so. I believe they just got rid of him. I think he was part of the trade for Derrick Rose. And so my thing is, what are we doing? What are we waiting on? Because anytime Derek, or excuse me, not Derek, anytime that Jared Harper, I almost said, you know, I, I see Derek Rose is in my brain now, but I, I was, I'm sorry, I was laughing at the fact that the first thing I see when I Google Dennis Smith Jr. to make sure that he was in that trade is a headline from the New York Post that says Dennis Smith Jr. was smiling all day after being traded by the Knicks. If that doesn't describe what your franchise is, I don't know what will. But there are two top ten point guards that have gone through the New York organization recently. Tilakina yep. was, Smith Jr. was, and they have not worked out. And now they got Derrick Rose, of course, who is an ex, you know, top ten guard as well drafted. I mean, Derrick Rose, you know, came into the league hot. He was he was incredible. But I mean, you know, he's, NBA, pa- MVP, he's well he's well past his first round well past talent. his prime. Well, I would say well past his prime. Well past his first round talent. So why not? Why are you not giving this guy a shot? And anytime Jared Harper has came in and gotten to play at any point in an NBA game, it's only been for like two minutes and garbage time late and he maybe gets one shot off. We don't know enough about the guy in an NBA uniform. He hasn't gotten any legitimate shot at it yet. You got to give him a chance. I mean, Quinn Cook had similar stat lines balling out in the G League, comes up and does well. Give the man a shot.
New York. What can you lose? You're already losing, right? More of On the Line on the other side of this break. We'll be back in just a moment. Hour number two on the way. You are On the Line, live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater here with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Had a great first hour. If you missed any of it, find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502. In that first hour, we talked a lot about who in the SEC is actually a contender for the Sweet 16. I'm down on this league. You're down on this league. Missouri went down last night, 80-59 to to Ole Miss. Another top 10 loss for this league. Alabama fell to Missouri over the weekend. Missouri, once again, losing to Ole Miss. Tennessee's had some bad losses. They didn't look great last night against Georgia. Just not a sexy league when you're talking about tournament time and you're filling out your brackets. Beware. Some of these teams are fooling you. They are they are in sheep's clothing. They are not here to uh they are not here to stay when it comes to tournament time i think a lot of these teams are going to have a hard time going deep there are only a couple of teams and maybe there's a team in the in the league that could get hot that we're not viewing as a strict contender at the moment but maybe an arkansas could get hot or maybe a florida could get hot i mean we saw florida's ability to beat a top tier team when they beat west virginia in the sec big 12 challenge maybe somebody like that could get hot and shock their way through but unfortunately the teams outside that we've already named, we've named Alabama and Tennessee to be legitimate contenders for the SE or for the Sweet 16, not as much Missouri. The outside of that, below that in the SEC standings, the Floridas, the LSUs, the Arkansas, they're going to be seven seeds or lower when you're talking about the NCAA tournament picture. And in that second round, they're going to run into a, a very high-seeded team. They're going to run into a two-seed. They're going to run into a three-seed, and that, that's not going to be good for them in terms of trying to get to the Sweet 16 because I just simply put, I don't think they're better than those teams. But things don't always go chalk. A lot of the NCAA tournament's weird. Things don't always go chalk. Everybody's bracket typically burned after the first two days. So there's very few of us that survive. It, 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 it's very, like... It's very zombie apocalypse-esque in the NCAA tournament. You know, we are all asking each other, you know, is your bracket still okay? And most people are saying, no, we're all we all went down. So... The SEC right now, though, to me, I, I'm very un- uh, underwhelmed. This is a league that right now, uh, t- you know, p- pick your team. It- it's like a-, a roulette wheel right now. You know, somebody is going down every week, and it's not going to be pretty. This week, Missouri was the one who got pulled down. Alabama was last week over the weekend. We've seen Tennessee last week during the midweek was also went down. The three best teams of this league that I think the SEC has to offer all in the last week and a half have suffered, to me, not good losses. Now, Alabama losing to Missouri – you know fine they at least lost to a ranked team but i don't think they looked good doing it i i also i don't think missouri's my top 
I don't think they're top three for me. I I, I don't think there's... So who's the team for you that's on the fringe? Because for well, me, Missouri's on the fringe of being a contender for the Sweet 16 if they get I a good draw in the tournament. I don't even think they're fringe. I don't think we... there is. I think it's Alabama-Tennessee, then there's a little bit of a drop-off. In terms so you of, don't think there's anybody that's even close outside I, of those two I think, teams? I think Missouri, Arkansas, and Florida, LSU, I think those teams are in a grab bag. And in, in just in my honest opinion, I haven't seen that. And Missouri can change my opinion the next few weeks because they do play Arkansas, they play Florida, and then... They play Mississippi again. They can re- really avenge that loss. I believe they might have another game that I'm, I mean, at Texas A&M. They could play them, and you know, if they come out impressive, then by all means. But yeah, they could beat Arkansas and Florida and avenge Mississippi. And you know, I think I think they could really change my opinion, and I reserve that right because I just as of right now, I feel like most of their quality wins and the good basketball I've seen them play. Came from the beginning of the season. I they feel just like, don't look good anymore. I feel like they just something happened from the Is it beginning. Their style of, the, of play that's, it, that's it, skewing it for us. It a might because they it are might a little be. bit slower, a little bit uglier, unattractive brand of basketball. That's always typically the mark of a Conzo Martin coach team. But th- there, there's a lot that I don't like about the, this Missouri squad in terms of talking about them in the conversation that the national picture is right now. The, the national conversation about Missouri at the moment has them as a three seed, according to Joe Lenardi. It's a little bit lower on like Fox Sports, Bracketology, but somehow they're a three seed, and it's because they beat Alabama over the weekend, and Lenardi's got Alabama as a two, borderline as a one, because he's got a down arrow on Alabama, and they're a two right now on his Bracketology. And maybe that was just from a, a higher two to a lower two right now for Alabama, but you know, there's a lot that I don't like about this Missouri team. It starts when I look at them on KinPop.com. They're 40th. And overall, uh, you know, adjusted efficiency margin, when you're comparing them to other teams in college basketball, and, and I respect a lot of what Kim Palm has to say about college basketball teams and, and how he evaluates them because efficiency is a big part of it. it. You know, you look at Tennessee and Alabama are top 12 here, and Missouri's 40th. There it are just, other SEC, SEC teams that are ranked higher. Florida than and Arkansas are both ranked higher than Missouri is. And then you also have Ole Miss is only a few spots lower than them. I think five or six, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly from looking at it earlier. According to KenPom.com right now, Missouri is closer to Auburn in the rankings than they are compared to Tennessee and Alabama. And that's, I just, I can't trust that. I'll give and you Auburn this. even beat them. So. I'll, I'll give you this. I'm just over here just randomly scrolling through the AP Top 25 poll. Not any tournament, not anything like that. How many of these teams do you think Missouri, do you, do you like Missouri to beat? I mean, there's really, Not many. I mean, even towards the bottom, I like Rutgers, Purdue, and Wisconsin just simply for the fact that I think they're undervalued because they've been getting beat get, up on they, in the Big Ten. They have more losses because they play in the elite conference of college basketball, think of, all right, the for, Big Ten. Think about SEC for football. When at the end of the year, there's yeah. you know a couple of four or five loss SEC teams above some of the two loss Pac-12 teams because the conference is better. That is the exact same thing here. It's just the SEC's not not the the best one. Big 10 is the best basketball conference right now. Big 12 not too far behind them in my opinion. They might could even catch each other. They're both super talented basketball conferences. You just look at some of these some of these teams. I mean, Creighton would give them a run. I'm not sold that Loyola Chicago wouldn't because Kim Palm's got them up high and I trust his rankings. I'm not going to say I've watched a lot of Loyola Chicago, but if Kim Palm's got him high, there's a reason he has him high. He's not just going to throw up a Loyola Chicago up towards the top of his ratings. Brief point here before we switch gears to some Auburn basketball and centering this a little bit more on Auburn here. We've just been dogging Missouri for the top of the second hour. Right. 
Missouri, one more thing that I don't like, Missouri right now, they're getting outscored in conference play. They're 6-4, and four, so they're really not that far from 500, and this stat here shows. But in conference play, now I'm getting these stats off of sportsreference.com, which is you know pretty good site to go and get stats from. In conference play, in terms of averages, they are being outscored 70.8 points per game to 70.3 points per game. That's no good. That that I don't. That's just not an indicator to me that oh, yeah, this is a three seed. You know, it, they have been just as much caught up in the common rabble of the league. They've just won, They've been fortunate to win some close games rather than lose some close games. They've won more close games than they've lost. Right, and they've they haven't played an overly difficult league schedule either. Of course, they've gotten Tennessee twice and they've gotten Alabama once. But outside of that, they haven't played too many difficult teams in our league either. They lost to Auburn by six. They barely beat a 500 TCU team by four. Not overly impressive in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Beat Kentucky by five. Still that trend of them beating teams in close games. Only beat Alabama by three. You extend that game by about a minute. Alabama probably wins. Of course, they lost by 20 to Tennessee the first time they played. They beat Tennessee by nine the second time that they played. The only teams they've really flexed their muscles on to a degree late in the game uh, or, or they they extended out against Arkansas beat them by 13 and then they beat A&M by 16 and South Carolina by 11 they, they really once again it has been more of them winning games close than they have uh, lost games close so which is why they're sitting at six and four and, and, and of course the stats that I've got there for you about them getting outscored in conference play when they've lost they've gotten thumped like they lost by 20 to Tennessee they lost by of course, only six to Auburn, but outside of that, they lost by 15 to Mississippi State, 21 to Ole Miss. When they've lost, they've gotten thumped. They're the Cleveland Browns of college basketball, and I say that because the Browns were a good team. I'm not saying Missouri's not a good team. Missouri's a good team. The Browns had a negative point differential until they got to the playoffs. Yep. Can you believe that? The Browns were like six games above 500. They had a negative point differential because going every, into the playoffs. Because every loss they had was they just brutal. Destroyed. It was a brutal loss. And they won a ton of close games. So not a lot of people liked that Browns team going into the playoffs. Because of that. Right. Because of that. Their losses... I didn't even like the Browns their, going to the playoffs. Their losses were just magnified. I mean, that's and that's simply how that is with this Missouri team. I mean, they're just losing big games. That's how it is. That is such a great way to put it. The losses are magnified. The wins look unimpressive. And the losses are magnified because of how bad they lose. There, there seems to be more times than not that this Missouri team, they're ranked 10th right now in the country in the AP poll. It seems like more times than not, Missouri is not looking like a top 10 team, not looking like a top 15, not looking like a top 20 team than they are, which is why I don't trust this team. Three seed right now in some bracketologies, just too high for me. I'm not I'm not sold on this team. Watch out in case they're seated high because this team could get upset early, especially if they play a good offensive team. It's all about location when it comes to tournament play. Let's talk about some Auburn basketball now. They're taking on Kentucky on Saturday. You had the stat for me, what, two and forty six in the last forty eight trips to Rupp Arena? Trying that's to get all, win all, number three, right? That's all time. That's all time. <laughs> They've won twice. All time at Rupp. Two and forty six all time. You know how big this game is? I don't care that we can't go to the postseason. I don't care about anything. Auburn, this is the time for them to go win that game. This is the time. Go up there and win that game. This is you're looking about how to keep guys engaged for the season, how to make a season a season meaningful when you're when you don't have any postseason aspirations. Go win this game. That'll be huge. That will be huge for the program. Go win this game. Go do it. Take care. TCB, take care of business. <laughs>
I like that. That's the trend this week. TCB, take care of business. What's the matchup you're looking for in this game? We asked Justin about this. What's the matchup in this one? I don't even really know them. I don't even know like what matchup I'm looking for outside of the fact I just want to see. How about this? Auburn's matchup versus turnovers. That's what I want to see. I want to see Auburn not turn the ball over so many times. That's the matchup I'm looking for. The Auburn team versus less the than tur- 17 turnovers. That would be now. That, that would, would be, be nice. That'd be nice. I want to see. That's the matchup. Auburn basketball versus the turnover battle. I want to see them come out and just be smarter with the basketball. Play like it, it kills me to see this team turn the ball over so much, especially such a talented roster. If they could figure out how to not turn the ball over as much, this team would be so dangerous. Think about how many close games Auburn has played in this year, games that they've lost by a few points or won by five or six here and there. That changes if you don't turn the ball over so many times. The matchup I'm looking for in this one, the last time these two teams have played was a much earlier in the year Sharif Cooper's third game as a Tiger I believe is that right I think that's right because he played Georgia in the midweek and then they took on Kentucky so it's his third game Auburn won that game 66 to 59 it's the first time I believe that we saw Sharif Cooper truly struggle in a basketball game aside from that first 10 minutes that he had against Alabama where it was very clear that like scratch that from the record that was just him trying to you know play college basketball for the first time this year for me, it's Sharif versus the entire UK backcourt. He struggled last time. They're all bigger than him. All of them are at least six foot three or taller. Sharif, of course, sitting at you know six foot, six foot one. He's not the biggest guard in the world. He's he's pretty he's pretty thin as well. So last time out, they bottled him up. He was three for thirteen from the field in terms of field goals. He still had eleven points, got into double digits. He had eight assists, so he's still you know affected the game from a passing standpoint but from an efficiency standpoint in terms of scoring the basketball Sharif was three for 13 from the field he was five for 10 from the free throw line so he, he might have been getting beat up throughout the game maybe some fatigue had something to do with a, with a lackluster free throw percentage there he still got his eight assists but I want to know this go around can he score what did he learn from that first matchup of course there are a lot of great qualities about Sharif he he can he's got top level vision playmaking ability he's a floor general obviously this Auburn basketball team gets infinitely better when he's on the court he's got a great quick first step his handles allow him to get to anywhere on the floor he's got NBA qualities through the roof everywhere but one category and it's shooting plain and simple and 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 that has affected him in some games where teams have been able to keep him out of getting to the rim and have been a little bit harder on him when he's gotten to the rim they fouled him a lot and and he's gotten his buckets at the free throw line but from an efficiency standpoint if he's not at the free throw line he hasn't been over overly effective scoring he only had one point in the first half against uh it was it against Vanderbilt or Ole Miss for some reason they're all running together right now but I think he only had like one point in the first half against Vanderbilt and then and then he showed up in the second half and maybe had like 18 or something I must it must be running I I think it was Vanderbilt I think it was Vanderbilt um because I was genuinely shocked when I saw 19 points at the end of the game so I think that aligns a little bit more with just my pre pre-existing memory I'm not 100% sure on that but yeah he's got to come out and play he's got to come play better than he played against Kentucky the first time I'd like to see him improve his shot if he comes out and shoots the ball well from beyond the arc or even mid-range that would be huge for Auburn to get their first win in Rupp since 1988 1988 2-46 and all time we're going to keep hammering that stat home until you realize wow 
Auburn has not Auburn has not won in Rupp in a very, very long time. And I think Sharif Cooper will have an improved performance going against Kentucky. We're not being hard on the guy. We're he's a lot saying, more. He's a lot more experienced player now. And we're not being hard on the guy. We're just saying, yeah, you're exactly right. You know, this is a big difference from this being his third college basketball game and the first time he struggled versus now this will be his eleventh college basketball game. I think that's also what I'm excited about in this game is to see how has he grown as a player now playing another team for the second time. Of course, Georgia game. Auburn didn't look great but that was an example of a team that he's been able to rematch against since the first time he played them but this is a little bit different this Kentucky team has guys that could play at the next level they have top tier recruits they have you know from a recruiting standpoint still top tier talent even though they've looked bad this year and they they can still have the ability to show up especially on their home floor and play teams very tough the big thing that's holding back Kentucky this year is their own offensive ability they're still a pretty good defensive team I want to see how Sharif Cooper gets better from the first time he's met Kentucky to the second time can this guy overcome some things from a scoring standpoint that have plagued him at times this year because even in the Ole Miss game whether there or not these two are running together for me the Vanderbilt and the Ole Miss game is because they're similar he had long periods of time in the game where he wasn't doing a whole lot from a scoring standpoint on the flip side he's still affecting the game he's still setting up his teammates with open shots he's still getting assists course finished the Vanderbilt game with seven assists total he went 19 points seven assists he obviously made a huge impact on the game and he's still going to be able to do that from uh, he still got eight assists against Kentucky in that first one as well so his passing ability still helps him get points for this team he's still included on buckets for this team because Auburn can't go without the guy but this game goes from being 66 to 59 like in the first game to being a little bit more of a handy win for Auburn if he can score easily because if he's scoring easy other guys are going to score easy the, the the love is going to be shared for this team so for me I want to see if he can score a little bit easier you know if this Auburn team can can kind of I don't know I just I haven't been overly impressed with Auburn at the moment from an offensive standpoint of the last couple of games I think they've struggled a little bit of course 50 in the second half against Vanderbilt but I'd still like to see more movement more engagement you know let better shot selection you know let's hammer the inside I want to see this team improve, take steps forward, and part of that's from an efficiency standpoint. But still a good basketball team, still uber-talented. All we're saying right now is like there's a really tough stretch of games coming up for Auburn. And this Kentucky game is the last game where you can say, oh, this team's got a losing record. <laughs> this is the last team that, that Auburn's playing where it's like, yeah, Auburn, Auburn's got a decent chance to win, and they're, they're going on the road, right? Mississippi State, to a degree, after this one, is also a winnable game. But after that, those last four there's no gimmies. Got to steal one. They're all they're Gotta all top steal five one. teams in this league, and so you're going to have to steal one if you want to finish with a winning record if you're Auburn. Auburn, Kentucky on Saturday, that one at noon on CBS. We'll be back with more of On the Line on the other side of this break. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Phone lines are open 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. We want to hear from you. Anything on your mind in the sports world, we'll talk to you about it. Levi, you had something interesting brought to my attention there just a moment. And we'll get to it because I think you would agree. We try and do this segment every week on a Wednesday. Got pushed back to today here on Thursday. Had a lot of great baseball talk yesterday with Jacob Hillman getting us primed and ready for the Auburn baseball season. 
If you missed any of that, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. It's time now for the most important thing. And by that, we mean most important thing happening, you know, in our opinions in the sports world. And I think we probably have the same one. So let's get to it. Levi, most important thing happening in the sports world right now. For me, I mean, it's got to be the Russell Wilson news. I mean, the management now the management's upset with him. He's upset with management for not protecting him. That's huge. And that just adds another layer to this crazy quarterback carousel this free agent cycle that the NFL is going through. I mean, you have Matthew Stafford going to LA, Jared Goff going to Detroit, Carson Wentz appears to be on the move, possibly to Chicago or Indianapolis. Russ could make a team really happy and he wants to be protected. I mean, I don't know, I'm just throwing this out there. The Saints have, you know, the PFF sixth best line in the NFL from last year. You trade a couple guys on defense and some picks, you clear out some of your cap problem you take on a guy like russell wilson on a restructured contract it could work for the saints it's just easy money for me (laughs) now the front office is supposedly frustrated with wilson that is not the way this needed to go we talked about this a little bit earlier in the week when russell wilson first made his comments after the buccaneers won the big game on sunday Russell Wilson basically saying he wanted more of a say in personnel decisions. He said that he didn't know if he was available or not for a trade. Obviously, he's got a no-trade clause, so it's kind of up to you if you're available or not. But in recent years, we've seen more quarterbacks have more of a say in their location. Most recently, Deshaun Watson, he's up for trade. Nobody's been able to lock him down yet, but... We've seen in the NBA, player empowerment be a big thing. The NFL still not as much yet, but it's getting there a little bit more. Guys have more of a say in what's going on to them. Now, Russell Wilson is the latest quarterback to make a a discussion like that. Matthew Stafford wanted to go out of Detroit. He got out of there. I think Detroit, you know, were at least able to salvage some type of deal there that they could at least be somewhat happy with, you know. I think they got a really good deal out of that, Matthew. You got a lot of draft capital. I mean, so what? You have to take on the Jared Goff contract for a year or two. Okay. You got got a lot of first-round picks out of that, man. That's That was a lot of value for for losing a good quarterback. For a guy who who would have left for nothing. Sure. So my thing with this Russell Wilson whole you know conundrum is I made I made the point earlier in the week that I didn't think Russell Wilson was actually saying he wanted to leave when he said he didn't know if he was available that that was a Seahawks decision that that was a front office decision that you know he didn't know that I I don't think that that was him saying that he was ready to go I I think he was just it was a warning shot it was a wake up call for the Seattle front office saying this is what I want I want to be here. he said even earlier in the week that he wanted to be in Seattle that like obviously the NFL is uncertain kind of Aaron Rodgers like comments that Aaron Rodgers made after they lost in the playoffs it very much so like I want to be here but you know the NFL nothing certain you you just don't know how things are going to play out Russell Wilson saying a very similar message I think he's probably you know I would I would assume that he's probably a little bit more content in Seattle than maybe Aaron Rodgers is in green bay but all that's based off of how i'm comparing the two the two personalities and rogers been a whole lot more unruly in green bay maybe than you know russell wilson's been a little bit more agreeable in seattle than aaron Rodgers has been in green bay i didn't see it as russell wilson was saying i want to leave i think he was just making his voice heard saying look guys i've gotten sacked 394 times in the last four years He, he even said in his quote i've been sacked 400 times of the last four years 
And, you know, folks may think, you know, I, I don't know. I think it was the last four years, right? Am I right in saying that? I, I believe it was the last four. And, and, and people may read that quote and be like, oh, he's over-exaggerating. No, he's not. He's been sa- he has been sacked That's a nearly 400 times over this certain time period. That's absurd. The guy's getting hit a lot. Now, of course, he is a more mobile quarterback. He, but holds, he holds on to the ball a little bit too long sometimes, but that does not account for that many sacks. No, and Especially when you look at their line that they filled it out the past four years. I think they, again, my brother's a Seahawks fan. I'm pretty sure he brought the stat to my attention that they've paid linemen on average lower than most people in the league, if also, I'm not mistaken. Also, what else, in terms of help, has he had... Uh, on this offense like look at the running backs that have came through there's been some decent running backs since Marshawn left but no like nothing that they invested in at running back it's all just kind of like oh yeah this just this happened this guy developed into something you know like he ended up being pretty good I don't know they they uh what's what I'm looking for they invested in Rashad Penny and he hasn't done anything okay fair okay Chris Chris Carson has become what they invested in Rashad Penny for and then at wide receiver DK Metcalf has been a unicorn but they don't have a wide receiver in Seattle where it's like, oh man, like look at this guy. He's Julio Jones, right? Well, I mean, that's DK Metcalf, but I, I will take He's no, not there yet. He's still I pretty raw. T- I will take yeah, but I mean that's that's the kind of guy that they're expecting him to develop sure. into through, you know, his trajectory as of right now, as long as there's no hiccups, he should be able to get there. I will take no Tyler Lockett slander on this on this. I will take no Tyler Lockett slander. He's good, but let but let me throw these names out there. Antonio Brown DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, Tyler Lockett. Someone doesn't belong. And I'm not I'm not saying that I'm not taking any slander here. The guy's good. What is he? Top five, top seven good? Is, oh, he, is he mean, Odell no. Beckham Jr. good? But not not every team can have top five. I mean, there's a reason there's only five of them. The Browns went sure, but the Browns went out and got Odell Beckham. I don't even think he's as good as guys like Jarvis and Odell Beckham Jr. The I Browns think went out and got Jarvis and Odell Beckham Jr. to help Baker Mayfield out. The I think Seahawks, Tyler Lockett is better than Jarvis Landry. I think he's better ooh. than Odell in a Browns uniform because something disconnects with Baker and Odell. I don't think Lockett's better than Jarvis. I mean, Jarvis Landry, what, is perpetually, he's always going to get 10 catches for 60 yards. I mean, he's great fantasy stats, but I mean. It's more than 60 yards. I mean, he, he might get like 7 for 84. Give him a little, um, a little bit uh, better Sorry, average. 12, 12 for 50 yards. I forgot. Well, all that, the, that was, uh, hold on, that was the Freddie Kitchens offense, okay? That's he did a lot, not, he did a lot this better offense. this year. He did a lot better. That was the Dolphins offense, too, and he was there. He was statistically always getting those 13 catches for 40-yard gains. Play-action pass in the Brown system has completely elongated out this offense. Okay, let's give him a little bit. No, no, he, he was a lot better this <laughs> yes. year. Like Jarvis Landry was a lot better this year, but I think Tyler Lockett was better than Jarvis Landry this year as Can well. Can Tyler Lockett throw touchdown passes? You got no. me. On, you got me on that one. You got me on that one. <laughs> More of On the Line on the other side of this break. we got about 30 minutes left in the show. Stay with us here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. On the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Phone lines are open. Number to call 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Wrapping up that conversation, real kick, real, real kick, right, right, <laughs> real, real quick. Hey, hey, Super Bowl week, we're still, we're still struggling. 
wrapping up the conversation there real quick on Russell Wilson that we ended last segment with I said that this was the wrong direction that the front office needed to go I didn't think that Russell Wilson was saying that he wanted to leave earlier this week I think he was saying I just want more help guys and when he says that he got sacked 400 times that's not an exaggeration that's not hyperbole it's the truth it's an actual stat the guy has been hit a lot over the last little bit an absurd amount for that team to be still going to the playoffs and it's because Russell Wilson is the Seattle Seahawks franchise there is no more legion of boom on the defensive side of the ball and he really doesn't have a whole lot of help in terms of personnel on the offensive side of the ball especially on that offensive line he's just saying I want more to I want to be a part of more of the personnel decisions about what help I can get and I I, I don't want to get hit anymore guys like I'm trying to stay in the league a long time I'm trying to stay in the league as long as Tom Brady can don't you guys want me that he's he's wanting the Seahawks to protect his investment I think it was more of a warning shot, more of a wake-up call, say, hey, look, guys, if you, if you guys don't help me out here, then we will have a problem one day. I think that was the hidden message behind it. I think that's what I think that's how you could read between the lines of that. And now the front office throws gas on it, and we're waiting to see. You know, the front office, as you put earlier in the last segment, you said the front office of the Seahawks saying that they're frustrated with Russell Wilson. For what? What's the guy done? Is it because he went public about this? Because he called him out? It's just because he it's called because, him It's probably it's, because he it's went just, public. It's just because they called him out. I mean, that's all it is. I, I, if, 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 if. But do we think that this is the first time Russell Wilson has, has, do we think this has just came out of the blue with Russell Wilson for the first time? Like, I'm sure he's had internal discussions he's had to with have. Seattle. There's no way. Unless he, unless he just bottled this up for that long now, of a time. I, and I highly doubt that. Now, shame on him if he did, and this is the first time, because I, I think you should handle that internally. But if, if he's been handling it internally, that basically just been blowing him off, then what other choice did he have? If he wants something to be done, go public. He's a smart guy. I feel like he's told them 100%. plenty of times and then was like, okay, you're a, not listening to me? Here, maybe you listen to me now that everybody else knows. And he's an agreeable personality. But now... Mr. Unlimited. Now, they, they, they've thrown some gasoline on it. Just waiting to see if this thing catches some fire because originally I didn't think that this thing had much. I didn't think this had many legs. I didn't think that he was going to be out of Seattle. I'm curious to see how this unfolds now that the front office has said what they have said. Every day I wake up and wonder why he's not a saint. I just I just don't (laughs) understand why he's not a saint yet. Make it happen. Imagine waking up and walking into your kitchen and that man is cooking you gumbo. I mean that is just what you want to see every day for the rest of your life. (laughs) What about Jameis Winston, man? Come on. No, I love Jameis too. But it's Russell Wilson. I mean, come sure, on, it's Russell Wilson, Mister Unlimited. Why, why aren't you I mean, going hard after Deshaun Watson? I want Deshaun Watson too. Which one of those do you think is more realistic? Which one? I, ooh. I still think it's Deshaun Watson because he's actually available at the moment. The that's, Seahawks have yeah, made it clear to other teams that Russell Wilson is not available. And here's the thing: no matter what. First of all, Russell Wilson does have a no-trade clause, just like Deshaun Watson. Great quarterbacks do have that in their contracts. Great players. Once you reach an elite level, you get that in your contract. If, even if Russell Wilson says he's not available, also in this equation, the Seahawks have to make the decision that he's available or not. At the end of the day, like the Seahawks make the choice of if Russell Wilson is available to other teams. And so far right now, the Seahawks are saying, we're not doing this. And then even that, then Russ has to agree what team to go to. So, right. I mean, it's... There's it, a lot of which hurts a, a lot of barriers, which hurts a team like the football team. It hurts the Washington football team, who would, in my opinion, be a pretty good fit for Russell Wilson. But do you really want to go? They've to got the, a good offensive line to they, a degree. They've they got an good, OKO line. They've had a good line. I think they were towards the top this past year, They're, if I'm not mistaken. They, I think they, they were they were six. Yeah, they were six in sure. PFF ranking. So I mean, 
not terrible, but it's just not it's not alluring just for what they are. But you have a great coach in Ron Rivera. Yes, it's underrated. It's the right word for it. Yeah. Good line, but it's not like good elite. And then you have good. good good line, good running back in Antonio Gibson. You got Cam Sims. You got scary Terry McLaurin, one of my favorite NFL players. It's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, that's Logan Thomas came on this and he's year. Young too. McLaurin's young too. Yeah, it's a that's a good fit, but it's also great the fo- coach too, man. But yeah, but it's the football team. That's the problem. It's the Washington football team, and you know the owner, and you know their internal issues that they have had in the past. You know, has the football team said whether or not they're going to change that name? Are they going to add a nickname? I hope they don't change. I it. I don't want it either. I I'm love. A, I like it. I love the football team. I, if if I wasn't such a diehard Saints fan, I would love to just be sitting at a Buffalo Wild Wings screaming, "Go!" football team now that just sounds so fun that just sounds so fun i'm also not used to seeing the acronym wft at the moment i always still haven't gotten used to that i always think it's something else every time i see it every time let's switch gears here still talking about some nfl stuff but with the college spin and especially a local college spin on it Devontae smith nate burleson said some things on good morning football that i agreed with basically saying that his measurements are not going to be a problem when he gets to the next level or in terms of the nfl draft obviously the heisman trophy winner it's kind of hard to believe that you know and i think he will be the first wide receiver off the board you're crazy if you don't take this guy off the board i think he's going to make an immediate impact but at the senior bowl Devonte smith did not do his measurements and the big thing about Devonte smith that has some people like basically the only like con in his you know draft card is the size he's a slim receiver very thin not overly tall either there are physical corners out there that can possibly jostle him up at the line of scrimmage early on but Nate Burleson was quick to remind all of us that AJ Green AJ Green was that way now AJ Green has dealt with injuries throughout his career when the guy's healthy he, he is one of the better receivers in the NFL. He's a top 10 receiver in the NFL, I would say, when A.J. Green is healthy. But that's the problem. Maybe his size has, con- has contributed to him not being healthy out there for long periods of time. But I think it would be crazy to say that Devontae Smith is not the receiver. If you've got the ability to go after the number one receiver in this draft and you're in the market for wide receiver, not one of the other positions, and you're writing this dude off because of his measurements, you've gone too far go and get a second opinion this guy is going to make an impact in the league and a substantial impact his measurements i don't think that's a factor whatsoever is he the top i don't know if i would say his it's not a factor whatsoever i do think he could have a i don't want to say the guy's going to get hurt a lot but i think there are very specific corners in the league that can handle Devontae smith i'm not so certain that Devontae smith is going to come in and be an elite receiver in the nfl in his career, I'm I mean, not saying that. I just mean that from a draft perspective. Okay. From, from a draft it's perspective, yeah, I don't think I don't draft. think that in the draft, I don't think that matters. To the I don't teams think he'll dropped either. No, and I, it's crazy to think as good as he is. I think the top three receivers in this draft, in my opinion, I think they are just narrow margins because they all do something very well. Devontae Smith does almost everything really well, and at a, a high level, his route running, in my opinion, is the best out of the three. If you're thinking of him, Jamar Chase, and Jalen Waddle. I think Waddle's got them all beat with speed. I think after the catch, I think is Jamari Chase's big claim to fame. He's more, he's a little bit more shifty and elusive. I mean, he consistently was dominating AJ Terrell, the first round pick of the Falcons in that national championship game two years ago. Again, Jamari Chase opted out this past year. We don't have a lot of film on him for this year, but I think he edges Jamar Chase because he didn't play this year. I We're think, talking about guys that could legitimately 
possibly get drafted ahead of Devontae Smith. Jamar Chase is in that conversation, but he didn't play this year. And that's, I think and that's, that's the enough big thing, of a yeah. waiver for teams to be like, ah, I don't know. we'll go with Devontae Smith, the guy who won the Heisman. I agree with that. I I think Devontae Smith is the number one receiver, in, at least in my sort of in my head big board i don't really have like a you know, big ranking he's the number but one receiver I, that's he's the that, first wide receiver yeah. to win the heisman in like 30 years of course and yeah. but i still wouldn't be surprised if someone took jamari chase over him if that makes sense i wouldn't be or if they took waddle over him if it if they feel I would like be shocked if waddle went ahead of Devonte smith i wouldn't be shocked i wouldn't agree with it per se but I do, I, you know what I mean? I'd, I'd understand if they did that. I understand if they felt that this guy was better fit for their offense. If they if they truly feel that, I would understand that. I just think that Devontae Smith is just a lock to be the, I think he's a lock in my opinion, the best one. But again, these are very small margins that I'm separating them by. Devontae Smith first Heisman winner from a receiver standpoint and forever. He looks fantastic. Guy can run routes. Literally the only knock is his size. The only knock on him is the size he just had the injury in the national championship exceptional game. route runner i mean oh man he's got well, speed not if, top end speed but still speed if he's you're got a guy, great hands great route runner i thought jerry judy coming out of college was the best route running receiver i'd seen in my lifetime and then i watched Devonte smith and i said oh i'll be interested oh. to see how Devonte smith is used in the nfl i want to compare him to another guy mainly because of his height and you're going to have him not up on the line of scrimmage Jarvis Landry, Jarvis Landry is five foot eleven. Now he's a lot bulkier. He's he's got about twenty pounds on Devontae Smith. But who's to say that Devontae Smith can't pick up another 10, yeah. 15 pounds when he gets into the league? I'm sure that that will be an emphasis that for NFL a lot. teams as soon as he comes in. Jarvis Landry's at five eleven, one ninety six, and he primarily does come out of the slot for the Browns when you know Odell Beckham Jr. is not hurt. He did move over to the X a little bit more, the Z sometimes. He was out on the outside a little bit more for the Browns after Odell Beckham Jr. went down, but. He did come out of the slot a lot, and that, that's been a lot of what Jarvis Landry's been able to do in his career is coming out of the slot. I wouldn't be shocked if Devontae Smith does end up in the slot for some team out there, and he ends up being very effective. I think his skill set fits it. He's a good route runner. He's fast. He's agile. He's got good hands. He's a little bit smaller, so you don't have to worry about him getting jostled at the line because you're playing him off the line in the slot. I think he could work. I really do. I, I think it would be a good fit for him there. I so, saying a guy's a slot receiver sometimes I feel like has a negative connotation because some people may take that as saying, "Oh, well, he's not good enough." It's like no, there different receivers have different roles, and his his skill set may not be deep threat X receiver in the NFL considering his size. He might be better out of the slot. Jarvis Landry is a top fifteen receiver in the NFL, and he comes out of the slot. He's a very good receiver. And I think Devontae Smith, if you want to, you're not going to lose a whole lot if you put him on the outside. I'm just curious to see whatever NFL team gets him, where do they put him at? Think about this. Just off of a quick Google search of height and weight, Devontae Smith sitting around 6'1", 174 probably. It might change, might be up, might be down. Think about Antonio Brown, 186, 5'10". Are you going to tell me that... And A.B. can come out of the slot sometimes. Are you telling me that A.B. is hindered as a receiver because he comes out of the slot sometimes? No. He's going to be just fine. He's going to be just fine. The thing about AB was elite route runner. Not necessarily always the Steelers' deep threat, but elite route runner exactly. in the short yep. intermediate game. More of On the Line. We wrap up the show on the other side of this break. Stay with us here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7.
Last segment of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you. We've got eight minutes left in today's show before the drive with Bill Cameron follows us here on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Join Zach Blackerby and Lance Dalt this Saturday for another edition of After the Game on ESPN 106.7 following Auburn's game against the Kentucky Wildcats. They'll provide post-game analysis as well as take your calls, so make sure to call in and to share your thoughts on the game. After the Game is brought to you by Tzatziki's Mediterranean Cafe in Auburn, the Orthopedic Clinic, and Columbus Hospice of Alabama. Let's take a listen to What's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Some people are good at cooking, some people are good at writing, some people are good at building dangerous robots and fighting them. Everyone has their hobbies. BattleBots is on Discovery with a new episode at 7. A look at the college basketball slate tonight. Iowa State is at Kansas at 6 on ESPN. Also at 6, but on ESPNU, head out to the Pac-12 for Colorado taking on Stanford. At the 8 p.m. time slot, Oregon is at Arizona State on ESPN. On ESPNU, Eastern Kentucky is at Belmont and before you scoff Belmont is sitting at 20 and 1 on the season a potentially very dangerous tournament team when you're filling out your brackets in a month. Pac-12 play closes the college basketball schedule on FS1 at 10 with UCLA at Washington State. Two NBA games are on TNT starting at 630 with the Heat at the Rockets. At 9 the 76ers head to the West Coast to play the Trailblazers. I'm Noah Gardner and that's what's on TV tonight. We were just talking about Devontae Smith in terms of how teams will view him in the NFL draft and going into his first season. Nate Burleson on Good Morning Football was talking about uh, how he doesn't think it's going to be a big impact that that he's small. He's getting labeled right now as a small wide receiver. And some outlets out there putting other receivers ahead of him right now in terms of you know on big boards if they're going to get drafted before him mock drafts might still have Devontae Smith going first but a couple of big boards have guys like Jamar Chase ahead of him you know I, I don't th- I don't see too many places with Jalen Waddle in front of him I'd be shocked if Jalen Waddle goes first especially with the injury that occurred and what uh, you know people not wanting to have you know ankles are, are something that folks don't want to don't want to mess with that, there's, that, a, there's a good saying about injuries don't go find injuries injuries will find you you don't have to go out there and find one. It will find you. Devontae Smith, I, I I don't think the the size is going to be a big issue for him. Do I think he's going to be at any point in his career a top five receiver? I mean, this guy won the Heisman. He won the Heisman. That would make you think that when he's going to the league, he's going to be special. Not everybody that wins the Heisman ends up being special when they get to the league. Troy look, Smith. Look no further than Tim Tebow. <laughs> That wasn't his fault. He never got a good chance. Sure. <laughs> sure. The guy couldn't throw the ball very well. He got his shot. Won a playoff game. He did win a playoff game. And it's not hard to throw to the to openness. <laughs> I won a playoff, won a playoff game. So you liked you I, I'm shocked to hear this from you. To 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 see that you're a Tim Tebow guy. Of course. I just don't think he got a fair a fair run at it. I mean As hard as you are on guys who don't win rings, I am shocked that well, you're a Tim Tebow guy. It wasn't his fault he didn't win a ring. He didn't get a chance to. I mean they they Taylor okay. made this offense around him. He brings them from the depths of what I think was what one and six, one and seven. Takes them to eight and eight. Wins their division. It was a bad division. Wins their division. Wins a playoff game, and then they kick him out for some guy named Peyton Manning. Just kidding. Yeah, I mean, why would they do? Yeah, that? I mean, why would you do that? But then he gets traded to the Jets, and they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna use him." No, don't use him. I just don't think he ever got a really good chance That's to fair. showcase his abilities. And I think he probably we'd be t- talking about him. You know. As, Better than those frauds, Dan Marino. I mean, come on. Stop that. I, now everybody, everybody, he's joking. He's I mean, joking. Pa- I mean, is Patrick Mahomes really any better than Joe Flacco? I mean, they only got one ring apiece. I mean, come on. 
<laughs> he's joking, everybody. Now, at one point, I do remember people talking about Joe Flacco. Is this guy elite? That has been answered. <laughs> yeah, he that is because he won a no, ring. Oh, stop that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, still talking about Devontae Smith here. At any one point, do you think he will be a top five receiver in the NFL? Like, do you think he – you compared – you didn't compare him to Antonio Brown, but we were talking about other guys who are small, and because of their exceptional route-running ability – they became stars in the NFL. He doesn't have the physicality of a Julio Jones or a DeAndre Hopkins, but he's got the route running, possibly the route running potential, possibly, of an Antonio Brown, A.J. Green, guys like that. Could he one day be a top five receiver in the NFL? I don't think so. I think that is something that his size can keep from getting there. I don't think that's going to affect him in terms of being a great selection in the NFL draft. I don't think he's going to drop. I just don't believe totally that he is going to be a top five receiver at any point in this league now i'm i'm not gonna say he will but i think he could i really think that he could it and it all there it it all depends on one thing where do you go and how healthy you stay who's throwing you the football who is throwing you've seen good tebow throwing you the football or is patrick mahomes throwing you the football right you've seen good receivers go to waste in certain areas and you've seen mediocre receivers look like studs when they have someone throwing the football. Miko Hardman comes to mind. Sammy yes. Watkins comes to mind. Sammy Watkins is good. He was good he, in he college. Good. I don't know what happened when he got the league. He was great in college. I mean, he, I think he's had a fun you know, career He's had a really NFL. good NFL career. But yeah, Miko Hardman, he's replacing Sonny Michelle as the most consistent player in the NFL. Consistently <laughs> garbage year in and year out. Let's switch gears here, getting away from Devontae Smith. Wrapping up the show, we're about three minutes left. Something that I really wanted to talk about today, kind of previewing part of our conversation tomorrow, why you should join back onto the show tomorrow. Keep coming back to us on the line. Notre Dame and Florida lock in a home-and-home series for 2031 and 2032. That happened earlier this week. Name one thing that will have changed in college football by the time that rolls around. That's 10 years from now, Clemson and college football playoff happening like Clemson has became a top tier team in college football a college football playoff has changed in the last 10 years I'm talking about the last 10 years what have we seen change Clemson becomes a beast with Dabo Sweeney as head coach and the college football playoff comes around those are the two big things that come to mind for me the Alabama dynasty of course wins many national championships a lot has changed in the last 10 years a lot more will change over the next 10 years what's something that's coming to mind right away we'll talk about this heavily tomorrow I think a fun discussion on tomorrow's show I think it's going to be a big conference realignment simply for the fact that I think they lost a lot of money this year. With you know the pandemic, you had a lot of leagues lose some money. I think That's that, interesting. I think they're going to realign and they're going to try to add market teams. Like maybe an SEC or an ACC team goes out and gets Charlotte. They're not a great – there haven't been a big – That won't happen. Program. Not Charlotte. But that Charlotte media market, that's what you want to get. You want to get teams like Go that. Get Coastal Carolina. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like teams like that. You know what I mean? If teams that are going that to. Still, but yeah, that's I, think, not happen. I think they're going to expand. And I think it's going to be in the next few years because they're going to try to they're going to try to cover up losses. They're going to try to make a little bit more off the fact that they didn't get to make the full amount that they wanted to make for the conference this year. So you're going to go try to out and get bigger media you're gonna try to pull some more media markets and pull places that you don't normally get pulled from i'll do you one better if you want to go conference realignment what we got power conferences break away from the ncaa fps maybe breaks away from the ncaa we've seen stories about that on espn i would love in the last i would love that in the last three months we've seen that you know there have been recommendations by like the night commission or whatever you know that that said that it might be in their best interest to break away 
you know, I, we're going to see some dramatic changes, I think, in the next 10 years in terms of the scope of how college football looks. It's not going to be the same thing that we've been experiencing for the last, you know, 40, no. 50 years. It's going to be a lot different. We're going to have a great show tomorrow. Make sure everybody comes back tomorrow. we got another edition of On the Line for you. But after this, we got The Drive with Bill Cameron coming up. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. You know where to find us.